This is KCBX Central Coast Public Radio. I'm Father Ian Dellinger, and I'm playing with food. These are not the typical sounds you might associate with being on a farm. Standing on the edge of a field, you may not imagine seeing the public library, the school district offices, a mega church, and tract housing. But that's what I saw as I stood at the edge of Fairview Gardens Farm in Goleta, only half mile from the Highway 101 off-ramp. Here on the Central Coast, it's actually not unusual to see the edge of farmland while driving down the freeway or at the edge of town, but this farm is a bit unique. It is surrounded on all four sides with city life. If you worked on this farm, you could easily walk to the junior high to rescue your kid from detention or to Bed Bath & Beyond to use a handful of coupons on your lunch break. So I checked out this farm. It's noisy, busy, organic, and crawling with children. The executive director made it all make sense. John Imanetti, and I'm the executive director here at the Center for Urban Agriculture at Fairview Gardens. What is urban agriculture? As you might have noticed, we are a farm. We're actually a 13-acre farm, and we're in the heart of the city that is Salida, California. We're surrounded by businesses, residences, public library, schools, on all four of our bordering areas. And I noticed you are right across the street from the airport. Yeah, the airport is just across the highway. We're in one of their flight patterns, so we get overhead planes throughout the day. One of the noises the animals have to get used to. So urban being we're in an urban environment. How long has this farm been here? The farm itself was originally settled back in the 1800s. In its current iteration as a 13-acre nonprofit, that was formed in 1997. Through the course of its history, it's passed through different families as far as who's been farming the land. In the 90s, the family that owned the property, the Chapman family, they decided to sell the land and they sold it into the nonprofit that currently exists and gave the easement rights to agricultural space to Santa Barbara County Land Trust. So it's actually a preserved property in perpetuity. So it's a farm. What do you grow? We grow, depending on the season, a variety of annual row crops, all kinds of vegetables. We have herbs, we have orchards. Right now we're in the height of our summer season, so as you can see, we're flush with what you might typically see at a farmer's market, your tomatoes, your peppers, your cucumbers, your eggplants, all kinds of lettuces. We still have some winter greens that um, we're holding on to. We have really good strawberries that we grow. Our citrus grove has tangerines, oranges, limes, lemons. We even grow nepales. A lot of flowers, a lot of herbs. What happens to all of the produce? So our current outlet is our on-site farm stand. So we operate that at the front of the property for the community. Currently that's two days a week. And then we also partner with local restaurants. Our education programs utilize the food as well for the participants of the programs. And then we partner with local food agencies for donations to get fresh produce to their constituencies as well. What kind of education programs do you have? Do you bring Santa Barbara City kids to see where their food comes from? Yes, the education programs have 
altered over the past year because of the COVID pandemic, but we're now able to reopen and get them back online. So currently we have our summer camp happening. You can see the children running around. We have an eight week summer program and Right now, we have about 40 to 50 kids on the farm each week. They're here as a day camp all day long. So they go through a variety of hands-on activities to learn about their food, how it's grown, where it's grown, why it's important to know about that process, making that connection. Uh, and then a wide range of activities around farming in general through the lens of various applications like art, music, uh, storytelling. They get to create a lot of really cool projects through that cool can we go down and look at the farm yeah you say it's 13 acres but the right. gardeny part of the farm mm -hmm. looks much smaller looks about the size of a plot for a house well looks can be deceiving so right now our vegetables we're cultivating about three acres that's mostly because we're expanding our animal program. And so we'll utilize a lot of the space for pasture for our animals when we bring them on online. And a lot of our field space is in rest, uh, allowing the soil to regenerate so we're not over cultivating in any one particular place. Like what you can see right here, this will all be a pumpkin patch come fall. So we'll be prepping that this week to get pumpkins in the ground. Part of it is timing. This field here is, as I mentioned before, some of our winter crops that are still holding on strong. So you can see we have lots of onions, chives, we've got beans, collards. We have okra over here. This is our second succession of tomatoes. Squash, fennel, parsley. We do a lot of flowers. Flowers provide a lot of benefit, both for the farm in general, but then also being able to offer cut flowers to the community as well, but bringing in more pollinators and, and allowing the ecosystem to, to really grow and be diverse is one of our critical missions. Well, here come the kids. Are they yeah. about ready to dive into the garden? No, they're actually going to the zone over here under the eucalyptus trees that has some swings and slack lines, and it looks like they're doing a little play session to get some of that energy out. <laughs> um, but luckily, we have these giant trees, so it's a perfectly shaded area for them to enjoy. We're standing in front of some flowers right here, and mm -hmm. you say they're good because they attract the pollinators, which you need. Correct. But they also, you know, they're dying, so... This is an older succession of calendula. So calendula is, is actually an edible flower. It was planted here at the end of last year. So this is the end of this particular succession. But if you look down this row, you can see a new succession of flowers coming in here. Then we have a, a bed of sunflowers here. And then our actual cut flower plot is down here. You mentioned animals. Mm -hmm. So what animals do you have and what's their function on the farm? Right now we have a variety of chickens. Our poultry flock is currently more for educational purposes. They're not at the point where we're getting any egg production, which is where we're headed. We just actually ordered 24 fertilized eggs so that we can start building our poultry crop to be able to have eggs available. The chickens provide a really meaningful function on the farm as they will be rotated through our fields so they'll be able to help 
do uh, natural cultivation. They'll leave behind their manure, which is great compost, and ultimately enrich the soil to enhance what then gets grown there after they're out of the fields. How many chickens will that take to cover all of this? They won't cover the whole place at once. They'll move in general spaces over the course of time. So they might spend one week in a fenced area, do their thing in that space, move them to the next space for a week, and you just move them around the farm. That rotational aspect to the farming plan makes for a really healthy soil, which ultimately is the reason why we're able to grow you know, such great produce. It's very labor intensive though, moving chickens around like that. It's actually not that labor intensive. Uh, it's just a matter of setting up temporary fencing and letting them go into the, to the area and then they just take care of themselves. Eventually we'll have our farm pup will be trained to herd the chickens. So that'll be another help as far as the labor of moving them around and also looking after them from predators. So will they roost though at night? Yeah, so they'll go into their coop at sundown, and then they'll be let out at sunrise, and they'll spend the day doing their thing in the fields. Okay, and so will the coop be portable as well? We'll have two options. We have our main coop, which will likely house the majority of the chickens, and then we have a mobile chicken tractor that we can bring around the farm. But since it's such a small space, it's not that difficult to guide them back, and they typically find their way back to their coop because that's their instinct is to seek shelter at sundown. And what about other animals? So right now we have a milking goat. Her name's Audrey. She's new to the farm. We got her about two weeks ago. The original purpose of getting her at this point was to be friends with our alpaca, who is a herd animal as well. And so they need you know, other animals to feel relaxed and have a family. We got to go with the intention of eventually getting more goats and they'll they'll serve a similar purpose as the chickens where they'll graze in, in the fields and leave behind their manure. They also serve as fire mitigation for weeds and dried brush, things like that that they like to eat. So we'll move them around the farm in the same fashion and work them into the whole system. But goats eat anything. So how will they know to eat the weeds and the brush and not your flowers and your vegetables? So they'll be fenced in whatever zone they're grazing, they'll be fenced off. We won't have them in any productive fields. The idea is to have them clear a field and leave behind their manure to enrich the soil. Once they've done that, then we come, we move them out and we come in later and plant so that we have a healthier field. Okay, so it's like field preparation. Mm -hmm, exactly. That's kind of cool. And you said it's a milking goat, so we'll use the milk for sale or for making cheese? or. So right now, the milk is just for staff. She produces anywhere from a half gallon to a gallon a day, so it's not enough to go for um, trying to do sales. We would have to go through a permitting process and, and all of that in order to have it for sale. But eventually, it'll be on the radar to get to that point when we have more animals but for now it'll just be in-house and we'll make our own goat cheese and things like that but it won't be something we offer for sale so i also see out of the corner of my eye that you have beehives yes so do correct. you do beekeeping as well we do beekeeping um, right now we have three full hives that are in high production as this summertime you can see them coming in in and out one of the reasons why we have this flower plot right next door to them so they have plenty of food they also really help with all the pollination of what we have growing down here so the placement the function of all these various things it's all intentional because it helps provide a, a more diverse ecosystem which ultimately enhances the growth of our food 
So who does the work? So you're the executive director. You have very clean fingernails for a farmer. Um. You know, what's interesting is that is very relative because I've been here since 5 a.m. this morning and already taken care of our animals and uh, done about two hours of weeding. I just do it the right way. Okay. And so what's your background? Do you have an ag science degree? No, I don't at all. (laughs) This project is a complete 180 for me. I came out of the finance world a little over two years ago and took it on. And it's been all learn as I grow. Uh, Luckily, I have a really solid team. Everybody's dedicated to making this place flourish and be the community resource that we want it to be. So right now, including our seasonal summer camp staff, we have 15 staff members. We just brought on a new farm manager, which is really exciting because that'll help us achieve a lot bigger growth in a quicker, shorter time frame. And then we have our education staff as part of that, our summer camp counselors. And then we have four farmers that are all, one is full-time, three are part-time, and that varies based on week to week, how many hours they're actually here. With COVID, we didn't really have many volunteers. We tried to limit our exposure on the farm to just our staff, but we'll be ramping up a volunteer program uh, in the near future as we open up more for the general population to come onto the farm. In a normal year, do you have volunteers who come and do weeding and picking? Well, we haven't really had a normal year. The idea is to have volunteer support, more so to engage with the community and just have them be able to experience um, directly where their food comes from. Making that kind of connection is just part of our mission. Ideally, we'll have specific volunteer days and then we'll also do ad hoc projects. In the past, we've done a lot of work with local businesses who will bring their actual staff here as kind of a team building exercise where they get to do a project together, but in a place like this that, you know, is more inspirational. So does this farm also feed some of your staff? Do you guys have that as a perk? Absolutely, yeah, that's one of the main things that we like to do. Everything we grow is available for them, whether they want to harvest themselves or they can come down to the farm stand and, and get things there. Eating healthy is an important part of the process, so we like to make the food available as much as possible. You have the farm stand, you work with food agencies and the education programs. How much is this producing such that you can work with so many different organizations? How much food is it? How many people are you feeding? During the week at the farm stand, we usually have anywhere between 100 and 250 patrons. On Saturdays, we box up close to three or 400 pounds of produce to go out to local agencies that then use it for feeding their constituencies. And then our programs probably use, depending on what activities they're doing, something as simple as their snack is strawberries, or it could also be they put together a full meal. So the quantity is, you know, it ranges. You can grow a lot of food in a small amount of space. Yeah. Welcome to Fairview Gardens. Thank you. Uh, what have you got today? We've got fresh tomatoes. We've got eggplant, melons, lettuce, bush beans, cucumbers, limes, jalapenos, peppers of all kinds. I needed a few things for myself, so I went to the farm stand to grab some produce. Carrots. 
The basil was nice on my pasta that night, and then as a pecan basil pesto over a salad and some grilled chicken. The peaches made a nice breakfast, and the dragon beans let me show off at my backyard summer meal with two close friends. What are, what, did, what kind of beans did you say they were? They're dragon's tongue beans. Okay. They're a uh, variegated purple and white variety that are really sweet and crunchy and really great raw, or also really great cooked. Um, can I have a quarter pound of the beans? Certainly. And two peaches. Okay, anything else? No, that'll be all. Thank all right, you. $10. Nope. Here. This farm is plopped in the middle of a town of 55,000 people across the freeway from the Pacific Ocean and underneath an airport. You won't find any of this farm produce in Walmart, Target, or even the Sprouts Market that is a seven-minute walk away. But you will find Fairview Gardens Farms produce feeding those who need to be fed. So is this something that can be replicated across the country? Is this a movement? Is this something that's popular? Is it something that's rare? Um, what is the urban farming concept? Well, in our area, it's a lot more difficult to have an urban farm, um, mostly because the cost of living is high and the available land is low. And so holding on to land as a farmer, it's, it's really challenging. That's one of the blessings of our property being preserved in the land trust. We don't have that same pressure of a condo developer wanting to come in and buy up land and put up condos. We can invest in the land without fear of that type of a situation happening, but most landowners don't have that luxury, especially in an urban environment. Santa Barbara is very dense and the land values are very high. So the uses of the land become very different for us. It's a special thing for sure. You know, we deal with different factors that farms outside of the urban environment you know, don't deal with. But then we also have opportunity that they don't have like access. So you say you don't have the pressure from developers wanting to buy your land and turn it into condos or whatever, but do you still get approached by developers? I haven't been approached since I've been here. If anyone did any general due diligence, they would probably learn very quickly about the land trust. And it's helpful too because when you're talking to the community about supporting a place like this, they can feel confident that any investment they make into this space isn't going to wind up underneath the uh, foundation of some high-rise. What is the major challenge for you as an urban farm? As a farm, specifically for us, a big challenge is just the nature of having neighbors. You know, we're surrounded on three sides by communities, and so we want to be as neighborly as possible, which doesn't always allow us to be as effective with our operations as we'd like to be. If we're out in the valley, we wouldn't have to worry about our noise, when we're mowing or, you know, like that type of thing. Those considerations all come into play every day with the fact that we have families that, you know, live all around us. So we want to make sure that we have a positive relationship with the neighbors who then in turn will support us as their backyard, you know, farm. That can present a challenge and in the past has been a challenge. Our water comes from Goleta Water District, so our water supply is very regulated. We don't have any active wells or anything like that, so water is always, in California especially, is always a challenge. And expensive. Um, exactly, yeah. But as a nonprofit, our biggest challenge is just funding. Like We're always needing more support and more funding so that we can broaden our, our reach, have our program be accessible to everyone because there are people who 
would love to be a part of our, our various programs, but might not necessarily be able to afford it. It's not in their budget to have their kids come to summer camp. But then we also have pay your staff and, and maintain the property. You know, like there are inherent large costs. So the balance between those two things is, is a big challenge. What's the greatest joy? For me, the greatest joy is I get excited every morning when I get in the car and drive here. I, I love seeing this property. It's such a special place. So in the various iterations from uh, morning to s sunrise to sunset and then throughout the seasons, the environment that it presents. And then things like hearing kids wailing and screaming because they're so excited to be here. The fact that we can provide this for our community, a space like this is uh, you know, ultimately the inspiration behind what we do. Things like that make make all the hard work and the the long days and the you know the struggles. The other side of it is is the joy. There is definitely joy. You can hear it in the children. Happy farming, Farmer John. This is KCBX Public Radio for the Central Coast. I'm Father Ian, and I'm playing with food.